Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of CC Me, the podcast for all your dreams, wants, and complaints. I can't remember if that's my intro, but we're going to go with it for this special episode. Today, I have two of my lovely friends here with me, Mari and Valeria, and today we're going to talk to y'all about indigeneity and Latinidad. So we're taking a class together right now, American Studies 345 for any USC students, Law and Native American Studies, if you'd like to take a gander next semester. But before we go into it, would my lovely co-hosts like to introduce themselves? Yes, I will go ahead and introduce myself. Thank you so much, Therese, for that lovely intro. Um, my name is Valeria Ortiz. Like Sharice said, I am a senior studying international relations and minoring in Latin American studies and um, pursuing a progressive degree in public diplomacy, which I just added like a week ago. So excited to plunge into that realm. Um, I am originally from Arizona, born in Florida, but my family comes from Colombia. So I'm very interested in dealing or talking about this a little bit more, considering kind of where both of my parents grew up, um, which we'll talk about, of course, later in the um, podcast, but I'm super excited to be here. Um, and so far, I've loved our law and American Indian studies course, and will also suggest it to future USC students if they would like to take it in the following semester. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Mari Fernandez. Um, I'm kind of camera shy and all that, so bear with me. Um, but I am a senior studying sociology and American studies, um, originally from Denver, Colorado. Um, shout out to Denver. Um, <laughs> and my parents are from Durango, Mexico, both of them. So I think in terms of this course, um, it's really helped me kind of put into communication um, the theme of like being indigenous in different countries and contexts. Um, and I think something special about Denver is that like, I grew up exposed to indigenous communities um, and like indigenous history, um, but very much from like a white gaze. Um, so I really do appreciate, I mean, this conversation we're gonna have because it's not from a white gaze um, and kind of the content that Professor Rivera pushes forward. Thank y'all for those lovely, lovely intros. So just really quickly, do y'all want to go into like your experience with the topic that we're going to talk about? I know, Madi, you kind of started if you want to continue a little bit more. And then, yeah. Yeah, and I think just to like say it um, and to be like specific and clear, our topic is more so like what it means to be indigenous in Latin America um, and how that's different, similar to being indigenous. Um, in the US. Um, so my experience with it, um, I was thinking about it for this podcast a lot. And I think my experience with this topic is pretty informal. It's pretty intermediate. Um, and again, I think that really does speak to my privilege as someone who's non-Indigenous. Um, you know, it's something that I began engaging with through college. Um, and again, I think that speaks to my privilege um, because I know it's something that not a lot of people, you know, I think it's something that people have conversations about earlier. Um, and 
conversations that are, you know, beautiful, but also conversations that are like severely heavy. Yeah, um, I think I would also echo what Madi said. I, like I said earlier, I'm from Arizona, um, and there's a very clear, like, large history of indigenous communities in Arizona. And I think my connection with it, or my like, my connection, it probably only like encompasses like recognizing indigenous words here and there. Like the county where I live in Maricopa County is then home to like the Maricopa. Um, like indigenous tribe um and like I haven't really like aside from that learned too much about it and when I reflect and think about how I was exposed to like Native American communities like in high school or like in middle school or even elementary school again like Mari said it was very much through that white gaze and it was always something that was talked about in the past tense, like never did we ever talk about current indigenous communities, what they were doing, how especially and I find that like especially like harmful considering that like the Navajo Nation is in um in Arizona and it's like again the largest like Native American reservation in the U.S. and just considering that and considering that history it's crazy that like it's only up until now that I'm really talking about it and really learning about them and especially to like to relate it back to like like Nida especially considering like how much like community members in like the Latin American region will like ride for like um, like who will write against the border wall. It's crazy that I've never learned about the aspect of the border wall that crosses specifically through the like the Tohono O'odham Nation and just like learning about how like that like their nation encompasses like parts of Arizona and Mexico. Like that's an aspect of this of this discourse and this conversation of like immigration and like the border wall in particular that I've never heard about until now in, in this class. So just to give a little bit like kind of context and also to like formally say that I like any kind of opinion or any kind of thought that I have here is coming directly from a non-native and I'm not somebody to really like, this is kind of more me thinking and unlearning a lot of things. Um, and I relish this opportunity in order to be able to kind of voice back any questions and thoughts that I have. And this is a cool kind of format to be doing it for sure. Oh, thank y'all for sharing. I mean, y'all already know South Central, born and raised. Like you don't really, like see indigenous folks and like people as much like even though like we're on Tongva land like you don't like I didn't know that until I got to USC like people that's just something people don't talk about but like in terms of you know Latinidad and like Latin America like y'all know my parents are from Central America Garifuna and Afro-Indigenous like you know sect but like even then like the history of like the Garifuna is like so far away and like removed, not like removed from like indigeneity, but it's like you can't have one without the other. So I've just always grown up with like that lens of like knowing, oh, like we do traditions and we do like certain dances and things. But it wasn't until like, you know, you start having like all these different like meanings to identity and culture. And then when you compare that with like, Native American communities is kind of like wait like what the fuck or what the hell like this is so interesting like it's just like I guess like there are more similarities and differences even though history tries to teach us that like you know Native American folks aren't around anymore and that's such a lie like they're here they're present and I think it's beautiful that 
this class allows us to see that, especially from like our professor, like who is a native woman. So I think that's amazing. But I have to continue. We just wanna, I think, you know, I speak for all of us when we say that like our intention for this episode is to bring awareness to the fact that like anti-indigenous sentiments are alive and well in the Latina community. And, you know, we just wanna address like how we feel and like the information that we've learned so far with like, you know, our immediate friends and family, you know, the people that they share this episode with. So it's just very much, it's a learning circle for all of us, you know? So does anyone wanna talk about a little bit about their countries of origin and like the indigenous communities that y'all are like aware of, maybe even a part of like, what do y'all know about like indigeneity back home? Yeah, I can go ahead. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, uh, so both of my parents are from different regions in Colombia. and it's very much like, and they're very, very distinct um, regions. And I'll go ahead and describe them. Well, my dad in particular is from um, Bogota and he's from the capital. And the capital itself is like a metropolitan city, very urban, very um, like loud bustling. It's also very highly elevated, very cold and like rainy just to kind of paint the picture. And in particular, the indigenous community that lives there are the, the Muisca people or Muisca, I think is how you pronounce them. Um, and they were the like first to live in the region. Um, and honestly, I don't really know much about this particular indigenous culture just because like it's not one that is really like pre- prevalent, I guess, in Bogota. And I think I think part of that is also because like it's kind of is known for being like like the epitome of like modernization. And it's like it's like known as like a an advanced city or like one of the most like largest and most metropolitan. And for that reason, it doesn't claim its indigeneity as maybe other regions of Colombia does um and specifically like speaking about my mother she's from like the Caribbean coast of Colombia so like the very top almost like like the tip of the country um and she's like super at least where she's from is very closely related to the Wayu indigenous people um and and I know more about that particular um nation because they are like I've heard my mom reference them, I've heard my family reference them a little bit more, and like I've heard certain family members like claim indigeneity, and like, and it's like like I recall it, and I think about it now, and it's like, like they kind of the way that they'll claim that is not necessarily because they practice the same like like traditions or like anything like that. At least not not from what I have seen in my own family, but it's like kind of a something like to take pride in, like yes, yeah, so we have like origins in the YU indigenous community who are like the oldest or one of I think one of, I think they're the only indigenous community that wasn't formally conquered by the Spanish like um there was like certain like like battles I should say like between the two but it was never something that where they were completely like eradicated which might be why they're um still around today and I don't know it's just really weird to kind of hear and like Sometimes my mom will say it in reference to herself, and it's like, well, mom, you're not. And so, and then like thinking and like using the language that I've learned in this course, it's like, I don't know, it's like not really um, like genuine, or like if it comes from anywhere, it's more of a place to like be like to boast about it and not like a genuine understanding of like the actual community. Um, and so that's kind of like my relationship with it. And so like, like there was a time when I was younger when I'd be like, yeah, I'm also like 
like not knowing really because I heard my mom and my family say it so much I would claim it for myself be like oh yeah my family has like roots in this indigenous community but it was never like something like I like now I could never like in good faith like really claim that because like I don't know much about the community I don't know much about it other than like the fact that they make like these traditional like Colombian bags that are super like known and like if you see it then you know it's from Colombia but it's kind of like only knowing kind of a service level type um thing but yeah not to like ramble but it's a little bit about like where I'm particularly like the indigenous communities where my family's from Um, and I guess I can speak to Mexico. Um, my parents, like I mentioned, are from Durango, which is like northwestern Mexico. Um, so I'll speak to that. And I guess I can also talk a little bit more about like other indigenous communities that I'm aware of. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, my familiarity with this topic is very informal. And what I mean by informal is like, I learned about it through conversations with like elders. Um, through conversations with my parents. And I don't think these are conversations that like would happen often, but like when they would happen, I would remember them just because they wouldn't happen often. Um, so in particular, I think not, I learned a lot from like my mom and dad. Um, my grandparents don't really talk about it. Um, and I think, you know, this speaks to like the anti-indigenous sentiment that Mexico does have. Um, for my dad, I learned that the part of Durango that we're from is land that belongs to um, the Tepehuan community, the Tepehuan people. Um, but, you know, whenever I visit Mexico, um, because it's a very um, rural part, um, it's a lot of driving. Um, there's no, there's not really airports. Um, so my mom would kind of like tell me like, oh yeah, like we're now in Chihuahua, which is like a state that's in the north. And she's like, in the mountains is where like the Tahamora people live. Um, and I don't know, I like, I just remember hearing these names and like hearing about like these communities, but like never actively seeing them. Um, just because I think that they're very much like, I don't know, like they're very much like ignored in Mexico history and Mexico culture like they exist and I'm only speaking to like my experience and like you know like my local geography area um in Durango it's very much something that people don't talk about um it's something that people don't engage with um but the Tepehuan people um are very much alive um they're very much there um they're just not represented in like media and news um which is unfortunate. Um, and Tepehuan um, means people of the mountains in Nahuatl. Um, and that's something that I learned through like research, not through my parents. Um, so I think it's really fascinating to like combine stories that I would hear growing up to like things that I'm like, I can look up, you know, at USC libraries or like Wikipedia and like just, you know, feeding that knowledge. Um, but yeah. Um, and in terms of Mexico, like, I don't think you can talk about indigenous communities without talking about Oaxaca and the state of Oaxaca, which is, um, I believe, more south. Um, and I think it's important to mention Oaxaca because it's like the state that speaks the most indigenous languages. Um, and then growing up, you know, these are like very rare conversations I'd have with my parents, but then um, I would also like read about it in school sometimes. Um, 
but very, very like briefly, like we'd read a chapter and then onto the next topic, um, which is not what I think should happen. Um, but, you know, something I learned growing up was that like a lot of indigenous folks move to um, El Defe, which is the capital of Mexico, and they work there, um, you know, as servants and as like different um, sectors that are like serving sectors um, and how they're very much, you know, they're very much like attacked for being indigenous. Um, they're made fun of for not speaking Spanish. Um, they're made, you know, and there's like, it's awful because they, they're also like turned into characters. Um, so you have like La India Maria who like, she, I don't know if she's indigenous, I don't think she is, um, but like you have her who's supposed to be like a symbol of comedy um, and she's someone who's like, is made fun of for very being very like, you know, making mistakes and being very like, I don't want to use the word like dumb, but like, you know, like that's very much like what her um, character is like framed as for being, making mistakes, making like simple mistakes that are funny. Um, so yeah, that's what I know of. Um, yeah, I'm interested in unpacking more with you all. I think kind of similar to you, Mari, like, at least in Belize, like, obviously, I think about, like, the Maya, like, that's really, like, who, like, encompassed, like, a lot of, like, our country and stuff, and I remember I was, like, probably, like, 11, 12, and we, had, like, went back home, and they were, like, oh, we're gonna go visit, like, the Mayan temples, and I was, like, oh, okay, sure, let's go, and, like, we went, and, I just remember the way they look because they like give you like a little tour of the site and then you can literally walk like up to the top of like the temple and then you just see like Guatemala on one side and then like Belize on the other and it's like right on like the border like of the countries and I just remember being like confused because I was like well I'm pretty sure like there's still Maya folk around like why it's like, you know, the same thing of like, why are we using past tense to like talk, like, why are we talking about people as if they're like historical figures or something as if they're not present today? And I think that's also something that like goes into the erasure of like indigeneity within Latinidad because we continuously are like, oh yeah, this happened to them and then that happened. And like you said, like Oaxaca and Mexico is like one of, the biggest states but it's also the one that people refuse to talk about the most so I think it you know like it's just seeped and like it's just interesting to see how like in all of our like respective countries that erasure is just seeped so deeply and it like kind of reminds me of how it's you know seeped in the states like we don't like when they teach you the trail of tears they're like Andrew Jackson had to you know bring the indigenous folks out of like their places to like do this is and other for like the betterment of the states like no he committed genocide why are we sugarcoating this and so I think I asked my question for y'all is like you know now that we've kind of talked about indigeneity in Latin America like do we see any differences or similarities in like that erasure here in the states like what what do y'all think about that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think to 
hit back to your point, Sharice, about how like there isn't really like like knowledge or something like it's definitely like this erasure or something that exists everywhere. I think that's a certain similarity that's shared between like um, the United States and Latin America. And I think like in colonized countries, that's something that's going to happen across the board, regardless of like which country or like who colonized who. Like it's like col like colonization is based on this like hierarchy, this hierarchy, and this hierarchy has remained and will persist until like these structures are like abolished and everything. But that's you know a whole different conversation. But I think in particular like something that I really like think about a lot, and I think about it because I actually did an assignment last semester for another course, another American Studies class actually, um, where I was looking at like cultural productions of El Chico, which is the predominantly um, black department in Colombia. Like it's known for being a place where like Afro-Latinx, Afro-Colombian individuals live. And I, was, I remember reading and I remember like reading a particular article that said in Colombia specifically, and I'm sure it's the same in other Latin American countries, that there is this inability or unwillingness from like the larger community to understand these racial divisions. And I think people use mestizaje as a way to claim this kind of racial utopia or like a racial kind of understanding or maybe not utopia maybe that's a stretch but like at least like a like a level where we're all kind of equal so to speak like um like there's especially like in Colombia specifically with this particular I know this is kind of like off the the path of like an indigeneity in particular but many of these like Afro-Colombian individuals are also indigenous as well so it all kind of ties together but there's like an understanding that these individuals like like they are like geographically like removed from the country they are like culturally removed and everything but like as well as like they're also like among the like I think there's like 32 departments in Colombia and they're like bottom rung in terms of poverty and like income and education level and everything but this is these are these are all things that will be kind of like swept aside and just not thought about because like people would rather continue on with the idea that like oh Colombia has like reached like we're all kind of like we accept our um indigenous folks we accept you know our like white folks we accept our like um black folk like they're all kind of within this kind of sphere and it's all kind of a-okay whatever da, da, da. and like that I feel is completely different from the way that race is seen here in the United States in the sense that like there is a clear demarcation between like particularly like black and indigenous folks and between like white people in particular like there's this like set like segregation and like specific separation that was made um, that you can see throughout history. And I think in like Latin America and Colombia, from what I have seen, like there's always like, like it's not that, that line isn't as stark as it is here in the US. And I think like, sure, I think like the US is like, like both sides are dangerous, but I think in Latin America, it's a little bit more dangerous because it allows, it absolves like governments and like people in like quote unquote power from the, like obligation to work to dismantle this because there's a kind of again like there's like they feel like there's no need to do anything because again like they feel like there's nothing to be done or nothing wrong to fix in the first place if that makes sense so I think in terms of like my experience and like my knowledge I think that a class that was like fundamental for me and like understanding how things function 
the same, how things function differently in Latin America versus the U.S. as it applies to like indigenous communities was like an art history class, which is like, you know, very interesting because how many of us are taking art history classes? Like, I think this was a GE and like I had someone had like suggested it and I was like, you know what, like, let me do this. But like it ended up being a course that like really transformed like my view on everything. Um, the car, the class itself was with um, Dr. J- like Arthur Polk, I think. Um, it was, you know, a few years back. Um, but basically, it's something that like I see off the bat, and I think that applies like to all of Latin America is like the use of religion to um, erase ind- indigeneity, um, because we also see that in you know the United States with um, the well, I guess they're taught in California. They're not really um, taught in Colorado, but the missions. Um, I didn't have to learn about the missions. I didn't have to do the project that a lot of my students learn about. And let me wait for that card. <laughs> um, but yeah, like something that I learned was like, and like, I think it just like stuck out to me so much was like how religion was used to like literally transform Latin America Um, because the way like a lot of towns and um, cities are set up throughout Latin America is that you have a church at the center um, and then around the church you have like the people in power so you would have like the priest you would have like you know the Spanish elite um, the you know all of Mexico's like casta system Um, so you would have you know power set around the church um and then after like you know in the outskirts is where you would see the indigenous communities um but basically the point of putting a church at the center was that like somehow like it would become a symbol of like the community's identity so like indigenous folks would begin to see themselves reflected in the church um and if you've ever been to a church a catholic church in Latin america like they're wide like they're like there have a lot of outdoor areas. Um, and that's because like there were times where like 500 baptisms would happen, you know? There's a lot of like images of that, of like how it's set up um, so that like you would, you know, convert as many indigenous folks as possible. Um, so I think that's just something that like, you know, is really important to me because it's like, I guess like for me, like growing up, in rural Mexico, like, you know, it was the same thing, like, like, Catholicism was everything, like, our, like, yearly party, where, like, we would honor a saint, like, those are tactics that are used to, like, erase indigeneity, and it's, like, they're very much well and alive, it's very much, like, a permanent economy, too, because then you have, you know, people who migrate to the U.S. and, like, are working here, sending back money, and it's, it's all of, like, it's just, like, how much of Latinidad is not a colonial project, Um, you know? And that's something that like, you know, and another similarity that I guess we can speak to is like, the people doing this are white. Like you have white Latinos, like that's a thing. Like, I don't think just because you're Latino, you're like, you know, you're suddenly erased and exempt from being a racist, eugenicist, shitty individual, Um, you know? You talk about Andrew Jackson. Well, Mexico has like Porfirio Diaz who will literally dispossess indigenous communities of land and then like give it to his like elitist friends. 
who are Spanish. Like, it's just, at the end of the day, it's like, there's no, like, you know, like, it's not that, it's not different to me. Like, to me, it's not different. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's different because it's different communities and these communities, you know, are different in history and like, you know, colonized by, you know, the Spanish who were like extremely violent, like, you know, um, so they are different, but for me, I see more similarities than differences. But maybe we, someone could like enlighten me on the differences. Like I'd appreciate that too. I know they exist, but I guess from my perspective, I just see more similarities at the time being. Okay, I completely agree with you. I mean, ice cream is ice cream, but you got different flavors. Like it may taste a little different, but it's the you churn the same butter and milk to get the same result. You know what I mean? And it's just like, when you said like the missions, I was transported to the fourth grade. I remember having to go to the Santa Barbara mission. And the whole time I was like, I don't like this. I don't like what they're telling me right now. And then obviously you grow up and you're like, I knew it. That's exactly why I didn't feel right as a child. And I just feel like religion is just so, ugh. Like, I just even think about it, like, now for, like, Garifuna people. Like, we have this thing called the Belurio, which is, like, you know, the nine days and nights, like, after someone dies. And, like, each day is dedicated to something specific to, like, make sure the person has, like, a safe passage to, like, heaven or whatever. Like, I'm pretty sure that didn't start out with a safe passage to heaven. Like, I'm sure it was something different. Like, I'm pretty sure that, like, the few days that you spend in a church aren't supposed to be spent in the church. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like, oh, like the colonizers are at it again. Like they're still here. And like the work that they did hundreds of years ago is somehow something that we and like all these other communities are still plagued with today. Like it doesn't matter where you go. Like I just feel like being marginalized is like having a target on your back because, you know, who knows, like, when, like, your people are going to be gone one day all because colonizers came and, you know, pardon my French, but fuck shit up. Like, what? And I just, uh, it's so, it's so angering. It's so, uh, now I'm mad. Yeah, and I think that's a, like, interrupt it. I think just talking about this kind of also like brings up like that mental game, like the what if game. Like I find myself, especially throughout this, like this course, just thinking about like, what if colonization had not happened? Like where, like just imagining also just like the, the large swaths of like cultures and just it hits home, particularly when I hear about just like all the languages that have been lost. Like that to me, I think is like one of the most unforgivable like sins of colonization, just thinking about like all of those communities and all those like, like language is so powerful and to like to be able to just eradicate whole like dialects is like so insane to me because it speaks again to the pervasiveness of colonization just how harmful it is and just hearing trace about how like how your indigenous religion has also been like erased and like replaced by like christianity it's like or sorry um catholicism i should say it's just like like these and these are all like institutions that we're, we've been raised to uphold or be, we've been raised to like revere. Um, and it like, I remember like specifically like in my, like not to detract, but like, I remember having a conversation with my father about like Christopher Columbus 
and like he has like I think it was it was particularly about like like whether or not we should celebrate Christopher Columbus um and his holiday and I like remember like very vehemently saying I don't think it's a holiday we should celebrate at all and he reacted so negatively like he couldn't in his mind like think about why Christopher Columbus or like celebrating just anybody like that it was something that um that we shouldn't do um and again that's so bizarre to me right because I've been taking these classes I'm in these spaces where we're like actively trying to unwork that and like I have to remind myself like my parents aren't really but like which is which is all to say that it's so dangerous and like revering people and religions and institutions like this have directly led to like the erasure and the like and has directly led to us forgetting what they have done to the indigenous communities of both north and south and central america it's just like crazy to kind of wrap my mind around i kind of distracted away from your main point Sharice, but like i definitely resonated with what you were saying no i just like you were you said something that reminded me like how you had said like oh like what if colonization never happened I remember I was having a conversation with my sibling once because I had to do for Madi for our history class I had to do like a presentation on like Garifuna people so you know it was fun to like well I mean like I knew most of the stuff but it was fun to like you know learn more and I had sent it to like my little sibling because I know they're also interested in learning more like, we're both trying to, like, relearn Garifuna. I'm like, you know, we're trying to, like, keep everything up. And I remember they texted me and they were like, so you're telling me, like, had colonization not happened, we wouldn't be here right now? And I just think, like, that's so, like, that's so crazy to me because I was like, damn, you kind of right. Because if you think about it, like, our people started off in St. Vincent, right? And it was all because like the British brought African slaves who then mixed with like the indigenous folks on St. Vincent that created the Garifuna, you know what I mean? So it's like, had that not happened, I wouldn't be here right now. Who knows if any of us would be here right now? Like the what ifs are just so mind boggling to me, but it also, uh, like, I don't know. It's just so interesting. Like, I would rather, you know, folks be happy and have their land back than to, like, for colonization and, like, slavery and thousands of years of genocide to have existed. But it's just, it's just so interesting to see how, like, the world would have turned out today, you know? And to that point of, like, we wouldn't be here, I feel like so many of, like, Latin American authors and artists romanticize that they romanticize mestizaje which is like what's romantic about it because i'm not seeing it um you know and that's again i think that goes to like people trying to like shift your identities they're trying to be like well you are a mestizo therefore you're like you shouldn't be that critical about colonization because like you wouldn't be here and it's like well i mean that's bullshit like I think it's important to imagine what would have been here. I think that's more powerful than like imagining that I wouldn't be here. I'd rather imagine what would have been than like, you know, me not existing. Cause there's so much power. Like I, for me, like my research looks a lot about, it looks at, a lot at punishment and like punishment as like the US sees it is such a like 
and not just the U.S., but, like, Latin America is such a European import, um, you know, like, that's not the way Indigenous communities would punish, like, they were more, a lot more restorative, they were more a lot, like, well, like, you know, like, and I, we talk about this in class, too, like, women were a part of, like, if the, if, like, the crime was, like, um, sexual assault, or, like, you know, something done against the woman, the woman would be front and center deciding like what the punishment was. And, you know, the punishment wasn't always corporal. Um, you know, there was fees involved. There was like community healing at the center. So it's like, I just like, I thought about like how much Misty Sack is romanticized when it's like, like there's literally people that like build their careers around romanticizing Misty Sahe. That's honestly so true. Like just you talking about like the different ways like indigenous folks would like handle things versus how like we're taught to handle things now. Like just even back in the day, like why would you quarter someone for stealing your bread? Does that make sense? Like does, what's not clicking love? Like I genuinely like, you know, you just sit them down and you say, bro, like how about you bake me two more loaves and then we'll be Gucci. Like there shouldn't have to be uh, the Europeans have done so much more harm than good. and I, But with that being said, like, at the end of the day, like, Indigenous folks are still here, you know? Like, they're still speaking their languages. They like, maybe not everyone, but they still, like, you know, they still have something that ties them to that. And I think that's so powerful. And, like, I think that is true resistance, to be able to, like, sit in a room and be like, hi, I'm indigenous, like, y'all tried to kill me off, but you failed, like, you really thought you could get rid of me, and here I am, 2020, yeah, how, how does it feel to lose, how does it feel to lose knowing I've won because I'm still here, and I just think that's so beautiful, and I can't wait till they get their rights, as they deserve, but now that we're talking about resistance, I got one last question for y'all. So what are the ways in which y'all think indigenous folks in Latin America are resisting erasure, whether it be through music, art, poetry? How do y'all, what are y'all thinking? How do you feel that indigenous folks get to do that? I think what comes to mind for me is the recent like political unrest in Bolivia in particular, just like hearing about how like first like indigenous president of like any kind of Latin American country was outed. And I don't know if this is kind of like a little different, but like in the sense that like in the face of this blatant kind of like, like dare I like say like colonialism where they're actually trying to like take this individual, like like um the president and I'm gonna Google his name because I I forgot his name um but it's just like Eva Morales I don't know why I forgot that um and just like hearing about that and just hearing about how like indigenous communities are like they're loudly and like unapologetically like I don't want to say revolting but like making their like their opinions known and like recognizing that what had happened and the removal of this particular president was an act of like of harm or like of like actual like I don't know how to really like say it but like it's 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 something that's amazing and I don't think it's something that could have happened maybe like 
even even 20 years ago and just hearing like seeing just how this shift in like the political power is something that was really like great for me to see and like like again like you see it like also like like in Colombia as well like there's been like a lot of political unrest there like in recent months and just um particularly with like like there's been a lot of like instances of police brutality and every single time like there's like a like a like a protest or like there's a manifestation in the streets there's always like a sect of like the indigenous community there and like being a part and aligning themselves with the movement to um like hold their I guess like political representatives accountable and even like removing them and like make being a part of that process which I think is something um that's really special because there's a lot of these indigenous communities in Kombi who are actually like migrating from like the Amazon and going through Bogota, which is where most of these um protests are happening and just like that pilgrimage or that like that movement is also like so important and meaningful because they're like leaving their like areas and they're, they're like going into like spaces that aren't traditionally open to them or like are welcoming towards them and I think that that's seeing that happen not just in particular pockets in Latin America but just like across the board is something that is very inspiring to me and I hopefully like it, it gains enough momentum to actually affect change in these political structures. I I guess something I see that I think is like really worth talking more about mm -hmm. is the role of indigenous women in resistance. Um, I think the experience of being an indigenous woman is definitely a lot different than being like an indigenous man. Um, so I think there's something to be said about the way in which indigenous women are resisting throughout Latin America. Um, and I think you could see it in every, you know, every field, like you see it in the acting field um, with Yalisa, um, you know, and, you know, you see like these stripes forward, but then at the same time, these stripes forward kind of highlight, again, anti-Indigenous sentiment. Um, so it's like, you know, it's, it's just interesting to see how these two, you know, coexist. Um, but then also in Central America, I think there's so much to learn from like Central America um, in particular, because even when we talk about Latin America, I think Central America is kind of like pushed to the sidelines. Um, but you have women that like Otilia um, Lux um, from Guatemala. And, you know, that's just one example, but there's so many. Um, and, you know, I'm not too familiar with like Otilia's work and her background, um, but I believe like from like what I know that she's a Kichemaya from Guatemala who um, works towards like bettering the rights of indigenous women and girls, um, whether that's like how they're exploited, you know, in the field of mining, whether that's how, you know, sexual slavery is still a thing um, in Guatemala. So like, I see them resisting, right? You see them actively resisting, um, you know, rejecting the patriarchy, rejecting um, the colonial agenda of, you know, that every Latin American government has. Um, but at the same time, you also see them being silenced. You see them being victims of violence. Um, so I, I just think it's important to like recognize the two um, because there's something definitely there. I completely agree with y'all. And I also feel like language is also like an important like 
point of resistance like I know like for us like you get looked down upon if you speak like Garifuna and stuff but that doesn't stop people like if you talk to my grandma she would rather talk to you in Garifuna than like anything else like she will look you dead in the face and like start speaking it like I remember <laughs> there was this one time like we had to go take her to the hospital for like just a routine checkup and there were like these random people that were like trying to talk to her and she looked at both me and my aunt and was just like I'm not speaking to these people until they you know pronounce like what did she wanted them to do something right like I think they were trying to talk to her in Spanish and she was just like today's not the day I'm gonna do it like I truly do not want to and she would just speak in Garifuna and look at us and I'd be like, okay. And then we just like have to translate for her. And I think like those are just subtle ways and like resistance because you literally like you get to like choose to put, you know, yourself and like your culture first in a society that often, you know, tries to keep y'all in the back burner. So I think that's also very beautiful. And music, like for me, I love, oh, I love listening to like Garifuna music or like anything that's like that just takes you back to the language and I can just sit and be like yep this is the one because I feel like a lot of people just don't get to sit and do that you know so does anyone have anything else they would like to add I think for those who are listening particularly like those in our communities who might not understand the difference between like or might not understand the ills of claiming mestizaje as they might. Um, I think it's important to like sit back and like not use words lightly and not use, like not claim these identities lightly, I think, which is something I feel happens a lot from my own per like personal like experience. I think a lot of people will claim indigeneity, whether it be like in Latin America or in like the United States, I think it happens in both places. Um, and I think doing so is an, a sign of like utter disrespect to like these indigenous communities, like to think that you can so lightly claim like a, like a community or like a, like a particular like belonging in a particular like, like tribe group, people, et cetera. I think it's like, it completely like erases the gravity of that community and like, and it just kind of makes it seem as if it's like a club to join when there's, it's not in that same level. And I think that is an important mental exercise or just like mental shift to make. And I think that's something important in particular, like to all those people in my life who have claimed it so like flippantly, like advice like advice that I could give was just you know don't like don't do like don't do that like be a little bit more like and I feel like a broken record I feel like I say this all the time but like like critically thinking is so important and I feel like a lot of people engage in that level of critical thinking or like or in that level of like reflection and I think that is so key to being a good ally um and so I think from like from my part, if there's anything that you take, I guess, from this discussion is just to reflect, to think a little bit more critically and to um, not 
and to understand how your actions might be impacting the lived experiences of other people as well. I think that's what I would say. Yeah, and I can't emphasize that enough. Like if that's something, if you're going to take anything away from this little talk, take that away because, and this is coming from someone that I had to unlearn that, um, you know, because like a lot of like people in the, you know, a lot of people like Latinx background, like you're told like you're a mestizo, like you're both. Um, and it's just, you know, like you have to unlearn that. It's okay to make a mistake, but you just have to practice unlearning. You know, like I don't understand why it's hard for some people to kind of like see this point of view, but I guess the best way that like it can be explained is like, you know, I've seen a lot of infographics going around like, oh, like claiming your indigenous identity is an act of resistance against colonialism. And it's like, I see what you're trying to do there, but like, no, with the heart, <laughs> but no, because you're not facing the same systemic barriers they are. You're just tapping into it. And really you're occupying space when you apply to colleges and you're like, I'm indigenous. When you apply to, you know, when you like, you know, like when you use that identity, like that's not space for you to occupy respectfully. Um, so yeah, like if you're not facing the same systemic barriers and like your whole life you have not been impacted by it, why are you choosing now to like claim it, you know? Um, but that's all I have to say. Um, but yeah, we have a curated playlist that like we would love to share with you all. Um, maybe Sharice can talk more about that just so that like, you know, you can engage in this conversation in a different form of expression. Yes, I think just going off of y'all, like just last takeaways, like don't, don't be a colonizer. Don't be no this, please don't do it. Cut the cameras, hang it up, please quickly. Because if I, an Afro-Indigenous woman, don't even click the Indigenous box because I don't feel like that represents me as like, a Central American, like Afro-Indigenous woman, what makes you think you can do it? What makes you think you can do it? Sit with that, simmer with that. If you're upset, then the shoe fit, love. Think about your actions. Like I genuinely, like I don't, I hope, I hope y'all learned something from this. And like, if you find yourself feeling some type of way, sit with that. Wonder why you feel like that. Unpack that go through that feeling. Maybe then you can begin to unlearn and like, you know, continue to grow and to learn about these new things that are going on, you know? And like, lastly, there's a little playlist. I'm gonna drop it in the link. I'm gonna find some way to drop it. And it's just, I was going through Spotify and there's actually like indigenous like playlists. You just, the thing is you have to search for them. Like they don't just pop up if you put indigenous, like you literally have to find someone who happens to be on a playlist in order to get to them. So like that just even goes to like how deep the erasure is, like even on Spotify, on a listening app, isn't that sad? But are we surprised? No, but at the end of the day, indigenous folks, we love you. We hope to support you. We hope to be allies for non-Indigenous folks. Learn, educate yourselves, 
find out whose land you're on, donate to a mutual aid or anything. If you see someone retweet like a GoFundMe on Twitter, donate, do something, be active. And that is what we will leave y'all with until the next episode. Ciao, Maritza.